Welcome to Emerge, the health podcast for busy, high-performing women. Each week, we feature interviews, information, and inspiration that will motivate you to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. My name is Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley, selfless syndrome expert, board-certified women's health coach, and alternative medicine practitioner, wife, mom, and entrepreneur. I specialize in health for busy and driven women. Listen weekly as I share the tools, perspective, and knowledge you need to lose weight, boost your energy, and fall in love with yourself so that you can serve the world with an even bigger impact. Hello, welcome back to Emerge, the health podcast for busy, high-performing women. Today, I am joined by Cassie Christopher, who is a body-positive registered dietitian who is passionate about helping women over 45 heal um, emotional eating by loving themselves well. She supports her clients to create unapologetic self-care practices from a sense of connection to their bodies and desires so they feel comfortable in their own skin, in control around food, and energized to live a life they love. So Cassie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this because I know pretty much every woman that I work with and, you know, (laughs) who listens to this, is going to be able to relate to this conversation um, on many levels. And as I shared before we started, I like to just hear, you know, how you got into doing what you do. And then we're going to dive heavy into the emotional eating conversation, it sounds like, but. Yeah, I'd I'd love to. So um, for me, I I think the journey starts when I was having some health problems uh, in my undergrad and actually even the the latter years of high school. So it's like a decades long journey at this point. And uh, I, I started seeing a dietitian and she was the only person who I felt like listened to me, right? (laughs) Um, Which I'm sure, you know, as an alternative health practitioner, you kind of get that a lot from uh, the mainstream allopathic medicine maybe has some, some places to learn there. And uh, I, she, I remember she left a voicemail. We were trying to, to um, have, make an appointment. She left a voicemail and was like, Oh, I know you have finals this week. Make sure you eat blueberries and walnuts. And I was like, who is this cracked out lady? Like blueberries and walnuts. What are you talking about? But it started this journey for me to realize like, wow, what I eat. And and I don't, I mean, I just want to throw this out there. Now I am a registered dietitian and I don't believe that eating blueberries and walnuts is necessarily going to change your finals performance. So caveat, but, um, uh, it was amazing for me and started to create this connection between food and how you feel and your performance. Um, and that was, exciting to me. And so fast forward a few years after that, I'm in nutrition grad school and I'm using chocolate bars, you know, a chocolate bar a day, um, sometimes more to help me cope with the stress of this kind of high pressure, high stakes environment. Now, why becoming a dietitian is so stressful? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense either, but that was the reality for me. (laughs) And I'm type A, or I was at the time. I like to say I'm recovering type A at this point. Um, And and that definitely created to this, this desire, this drive, right. To succeed. And um, I, I didn't have a way of coping with all the confusing thoughts and and feelings and, um, you know, self-doubt and, and stress, those stress hormones. And so I used food and come to find out now I understand that 
you, you get the stress hormone cortisol involved and all bets are off. Um, I love that there is really good research that shows when you're more stressed, you eat more like, yeah, we knew that, right? <laughs> we didn't need research for that one. Stress eating is a thing. And so for me, I began my career as a dietitian, not knowing how to solve the food thing and feeling out of control around food. I remember I'd go, you know, reward myself like, oh, I'm just going to have a little something. It's been a busy week, buy a box of pastries thinking I'm going to share with everyone and then finish them before I got home and just feel so guilty and out of control. And, and like, I wasn't applying anything that I was learning or knew to be right uh, and helpful for optimal health. And so I, I began this kind of yo-yo of trying these diets, trying these methods that um, were said to help me be in optimal health, uh, which at that time, I think they, uh, the, the prevailing knowledge was optimal health was eat a lot of vegetables and have a normal BMI. That's kind of how I think you could boil it down and don't eat any sugar. That was a, probably add that one too. Yeah. Just very like. Um, in uh, intense or restrictive ideas of what health could look like. And so I went on like that for a few years, honestly, sad. And I know a lot of women I work with do that for decades. So I, I know I'm not alone there. And it wasn't until I had a child. And I imagine a lot of women out here know what this is like when things really broke down because now I was that I love how you talk about selfless syndrome. That was totally me. I had this newborn. I was pouring all of my life into caring for her and self-care went completely out the window. And now in addition to chocolate, I was eating Ritz crackers and that really delicious aged white Tillamook cheese. Um, and that was my comfort. And so, but what happened was I ended up in awful pain. My inflammation was through the roof. I started having these autoimmune markers in my body. I, I, I hurt, it hurt to take a walk. And I'm like, ah, I'm too young for this. Right. Um, and, and so that began the, the journey. I started working with my naturopath, doing some functional medicine testing, which I know you do as well. And, yeah. uh, and working with my therapist and, and really getting help to process how I'm feeling. And what I discovered is that my problem, and this is going to be ironic for a dietitian really had nothing to do with food. And if anyone out there can relate to my story, probably your problem has nothing to do with food either, because what's actually going on with emotional eating or so I discovered through this uh, hero's journey, you might say, um, was that I was using food to avoid or numb my feelings because I didn't know how to process my emotion. Uh, I've been, you know, there, there's a, a history of trauma here. So emotions maybe feel unsafe in my body. I'm someone who has a lot of big emotions. Like I cry at commercials when like the audience cheers and I'm like, it's so beautiful, right? Like that highly sensitive kind of embarrassingly so. Uh, and then cultural conditioning, right? Of women to, to do, and you call it selfless syndrome. Philosopher Kate Mann calls it human giver, right? Like there's a lot of people talking about this now. So all of that combined with, and I love that you talk about um, the, like being vibrant and on fire and energetic because all of that then combined with my, upbringing, my very conservative religious upbringing, which made me feel like my desires were suspect at best and likely, you know, sinful and awful. So I wasn't connected to my intuition or my body or what I knew on a deep level I needed. And so what I was doing was not only using food to avoid a numb, but using food for pleasure because I didn't feel free to 
um, to figure out what brought me pleasure and, and, you know, chase after it in life. Um, yeah, I know such a long answer, but that's my story. Oh, um, there's so much we can unpack in there. So. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> like, let's just start with, you know, we all have our thing. Mine was, was definitely chocolate too. I've talked about, we used to, in my chiropractic office, we had these bowls of really good dark chocolate. Like I bought the good stuff. Right. Yes. But when I started doing more functional medicine, my staff was like, yeah, that's gotta go. And I found that, you know, for the first few days when they took it away, I would go to the front desk and I'm like, why am I here? Oh, I'm looking for chocolate. <laughs> like, and I was the one who was eating all of it. So I can, you know, and I know other women, like we've all got our thing. And it's interesting when you, you know, change something, how ingrained behavior is in, yeah. in doing that. Um, so I know we're going to talk about kind of more, and you touched on like the emotional side of eating. And what I found really interesting, because a lot of the women I work with are dealing with some level of trauma too. This was, yeah. you know, unfortunately as part of like, yeah. I would say most women's stories is some level and like, let's not com- compare and contrast what qualifies as more traumatic and whatever. Like we've all dealt with it on some level. Um, but what I found interesting is like, we reach this point in the work I do where they're like, I'm suddenly ready to process this trauma from like 30 or 40 or 50 years ago that I've never dealt with. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's, let's do that. So, you know, as you, maybe you can speak into like, as you work through stuff like what are kind of the steps in recognizing that the problem isn't necessarily with food I mean yeah there's the quality of the food you're eating what you're reaching for all that stuff but it's it's not necessarily about that it's about what's driving the behavior to do that does that make sense what I'm asking yes 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 I love it I love it and I'm making notes that I don't I don't lose the thread so essentially what are the steps people go through before when, upon realizing that the problem isn't with food and there might be something deeper and like significantly mm-hmm. wounding, like we're talking yeah. about here. Yeah. Um, I love that. And I think the first step that everyone needs to take to heal emotional eating is to recognize that they aren't the problem. They need to stop blaming themselves. And the prevailing wisdom of diet culture in particular is that if you have a problem with food or your weight or yada, 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 there's something wrong with you. Um, we have a fat phobic culture. There's weight bias. Like these are Google these terms. Yeah. <laughs> You'll find seriously. my blog. I love to talk about this. Sorry. What'd you say? <laughs> no, I said seriously, like all of it. Just, just... Yes. Yes. And so that makes us internalize and believe that if I'm struggling with food or, or I'm gaining weight from all this chocolate I'm eating, which yeah, two years in grad school, I gained 20 pounds from all that chocolate. And it was also artisanal chocolate Theo's from Seattle. That's like my Mm -hmm. go-to even now. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, the good stuff, right? So recognizing that you're not the problem, um, there was this really interesting uh, tweet that someone shared from the child development world. And there's this idea in, uh, in parenting these days that um, your children don't misbehave, but they just are doing the best they can given how well their emotional and physical needs are met um, and consistent with their development. And I would say it's the exact same with emotional eating. So recognizing that it's not your fault, that there are forces at work. You know, I mentioned the stress hormone cortisol, maybe past trauma, not knowing how to feel your feelings. That's really the first step towards starting this journey. Because if the problem is you, if if you think the problem is you, that only creates 
in my opinion, self-hatred and self-loathing, disgust, right? Like these are words that women tell me they're using to describe themselves. Um, And that's, that's sad. I I think that's, that's Mm -hmm. awful, evil. Like there's a lot of words we could use. Not that the woman is doing that, but I think that culture has forced her into that. So recognizing it's not your fault. And then the second is to get curious. So once you can say, okay, problem isn't with me. Um, what, what is the problem with and and to go on a journey and and be open to it and and listen to this podcast, right. Um, and, and listen to other people who seem like they care more about you loving yourself than, you know, selling their supplements or whatever. Right. Um, that, so being curious and then thirdly, self-compassion and self-compassion is what heals, uh, all of these ills really. Mm-hmm. Um, when you can be compassionate to yourself and compassion here means kindness. It means mindfulness, being able to sit with your feelings instead of, you know, dismissing them. And then an el- an- another element of Dr. Kristen Neff's definition of self-compassion is, um, recognizing that you're, you're not alone, that this is also common. I think so often emotional eating is isolating. We think we're the only ones doing it. So that would be the three steps I think. And I mean, there's even great research to suggest self-compassion can help to heal trauma. So, um, there's a lot of cross crossover here. Yeah. One of the, I, it may have been someone I interviewed and it might've been somewhere else, or I've heard it multiple times, but one of the things that I, you know, recently I've just been thinking about is like, we can't hate ourselves into change. Like you can't hate yourself into becoming what you want to be. You have to start with love where you're not, I mean, you're going to do things out of hatred and not out of compassion as you're talking about. And like, we have to be able to step back from that. I, this reminds me, I have a client who, you know, she keeps falling off the wagon with, with, what we're trying to do. Like the, the first step is with me is, you know, first we deal with this mindset stuff, but then, you know, we start with getting off sugar. Like let's, let's just be honest. We all need a break from it every now and then it's in everything. But, um, you know, she's like, I just feel like I'm, you know, beating myself up. Like she's intentionally sabotaging herself and, you know, she recognizes that and not a lot of us do, but that's, I think that's huge and key. So yeah, I love that. And then bringing some curiosity to like, why am I doing the things that I do? That's huge. And starting to move the behavior. Exactly. Yeah. And that self-criticism can be so, um, you know, pervasive, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, also that self-criticism really can cause a lot more eating because what happens is you get in this, this cycle of you're mean to yourself and you feel bad about it. You don't feel good. And so then you have to eat to numb or comfort And then you end up feeling bad and guilty about that. And so it just goes on and on. Uh, And interestingly, um, I mentioned Dr. Kristen Neff. She's a leading researcher of self-compassion. And in her recent book, Fierce, the title has the word fierce in it, but it came out this year. So if you Google her, you'll find it. Um, She talks about anger and how she believes that women being unable to express their anger. So again, the emotion here is, is anger and women aren't culturally allowed to express anger. And she believes that that anger then turns inward. And that's what happens with this self-criticism that we it's, it's okay socially for women to be angry at themselves. And that's often the example that we have from the women around us as well. Um, not, not many people will step in and say, Hey, you're being kind of mean to yourself, or they just don't know what's going on in your brain. 
That's really interesting. I'm processing that thought for a second because, you know, and I think it, it's, I mean, I can see that like as women we are, and we're going to get into a whole different conversation here, but that's okay. Cause this is the one I really like, you know, it's like, we're judged. We're asked, are you on your period? If we're overly, you know, emotional or assertive or, or whatever it is. And I think I can get on board with that being accurate, that that is a big you know driver with just, we turn this anger internally because that's what's accepted. So how do we get out of the cycle? How do we break the conditioning and the patterning? Like what, what, what do we do? What you got for me? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so take, take me out of emotional eating and, and uh, help me heal. Um, so what I think is important is uh, these four key areas around unapologetic self-love. So we've already talked about how you can't heal out of a place of self-hatred. Um, and honestly, self-love can be a really far leap. So I just want to say that too. Self-love can be a far leap from where some people are now. And so it's really a practice about respecting yourself and loving yourself even if you can't switch on a light switch or, you know, you can't just switch on and say, okay, now I love myself because you know, this may be something you've been struggling with for decades and, and that's okay. And so the four key areas that I recommend people focus on are mind, heart, body, and soul. And I actually have those out of, um, out of order in my notes because body, mind, heart, soul is the best way to proceed through them. Um, and I'd be so curious what your take is on this. Cause we work in such similar fields. And so body being, um, learning to trust your body and heed your appetite cues, but you can't start off there. First, you have to start with balancing your stress hormones, feeling good enough in your body to make good choices, and then learning to trust your body over time and know and have your body trust you, quite frankly, because if you've been dieting your whole life, like your body doesn't know if you're going to starve it or feed it or gorge. Um, and so having that body trust, is something that takes time to cultivate, but, but eventually allows you to stop, you know, yo-yo dieting and just make consistently healthy choices for yourself. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, you know, I think I flip-flop sometimes between mind and body because mm -hmm. I mean, they somewhat go together, like in order to really heal, you have to do a lot of work with your mind. And I've been, you know, learning more and more and Right now I'm in a hypnotherapy and, you know, neuro-linguistic programming class, which is like all about how we actually retain our brain. So key, because a lot of the changes you make, you know, until you deal with your mind aren't going to last. And I'll say, and instead of, but, you know, I think a lot of us need, and I hear this from a lot of women, like we need to see some sort of result. We need to, we need something tangible that we can grasp and you can't necessarily see whatever you're doing with your mindset work and, and whatnot. And so having that, I would agree with you in that case that, you know, working, but I'm saying, but again, but, <laughs> and not getting frustrated when you're, you know, because I, I talked to so many people who are like, I can't lose weight and I'm frustrated and I just want to give up and, you know, go binge. Like we're making small tangible steps that maybe you're not going to see huge amounts of weight loss or, you know, and I know you're like me, you hate talking about weight loss, but <laughs> it's all of this, like, if that's one of the things that you feel like you need, all of this is leading what's going to lead you in that direction, if that makes sense. So I don't know if that helps. Yeah. But. 
Yeah, definitely. And you know, the other reason I, I like to start with body in particular for people who struggle with emotional eating is there is one tiny, not a big deal change that you can make to take away like 50 to 90% of your extra eating. And I'll tell you what it is. Don't worry. <laughs> I know big, big, big lead up there. And that is actually to help to balance your hormones. So in your body to eat regularly with a focus on protein and fiber throughout the day, eat close to when you wake up about every four-ish hours throughout the day. And what happens is when you don't eat regularly throughout the day, you get that cortisol buildup. I know people are really into fasting now. If you're an emotional eater, fasting probably, in my experience, is not the answer. Um, if you aren't an emotional eater, go nuts. But research shows that cortisol goes up when you're fasting. And so if you're already struggling with eating in response to these hormonal cues, not eating during the day is going to make it much worse. So that, that's one tangible thing people can take away, try today, and then, you know, find me on Instagram at Cassie Christopher RD and tell me that it worked for you because I know that it will. <laughs> that's really good. And I think, you know, I find like I, I interviewed someone who we talked about intermittent fasting, right. And like, that's probably the most listened to episode that I've put out the entire year. And I'm just like, this is interesting. Why is this? And I, you know, I, I practice it some now I'm not as driven by emotional eating. Like I'm, I'm aware of when like, Oh, I'm stressed. Like I'm not going to fast all day today. Cause, and same, same with exercise. You know, I find so many women are either pushing themselves to fast or pushing themselves to exercise. And it's having the opposite effect because it's actually increasing your cortisol. But my thing with it is like, that is more an advanced kind of practice that yes, has health benefits, but it's like, we go to these things because, you know, everyone talks about it or yada, yada, yada. And while it makes sense, maybe down the road, it's not what you start with. And so I'm like you, I actually start with, you know, protocols to reset leptin where we're eating three meals a day, five to six hours apart and like have your snack if you need it. Like all of that is, you know, we have to deal with that first before we move into that. So I just wanted to add that little caveat. I like, yeah. like what you come from with that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and I love that idea that, you know, intermittent fasting may be a tool, but I would say if you struggle to have, to have a connection to your body, because what I hear when you're saying, yeah, I might do it sometimes, but I don't do it on these days or these days, you're listening to your body. You have that connection to your body. You trust your body and your body trusts you. And so if you've been on decades of yo-yo dieting and you don't know your own appetite and hunger cues, that is not a tool that's going to serve you. It's only going to disconnect you further from your body and, and further from, yeah, really knowing yourself. Um, the second, uh, pillar here is the mind. And this is some of that self-criticism, like we've been talking about. So monitoring and changing unhelpful thought patterns, like the self-criticism and all or nothing thinking, all or nothing thinking is a big one. So when people are self-sabotaging, I find they're usually thinking that if they messed up a little bit, then they may as well just go back to old habits and not even try that whole restart Monday. I already blew it. You know, all of that is all or nothing thinking. And it stops you from making consistent progress. It stops you from feeling good because you're constantly labeling yourself a failure. Um, and if you can get yourself into the all category for long periods of time, usually those behaviors are pretty disordered. So you either feel like a failure or you feel amazing, but it's not like healthy for you. 
Um, you know, for the mind, also managing your stress, calming down your nervous system, that's going to help reduce a lot of those extra cravings and then working towards body acceptance so that you can feel good in your body, no matter your size, stop obsessing about what other people think of you. Uh, I know you and I both work with populations that are um, older than us. And it's interesting, the perspective that you, you have, um, because there's this study out of the Ohio State University that shows that women uh, over 40 uh, tend to base how they feel about their body. And you have to listen carefully because this is one of those he said, she said things tend to base how they feel about their body on what they perceive others think about their body. Hmm. While as women under 40 how they feel about their body has more to do with how their body can support them and how their body functions. That's very interesting. And when, how you feel about yourself is based on how you perceive other people think about you, like that's giving away your power entirely. There's a lot of good reasons for that, you know, patriarchal systems, probably being put on diets at a young age, your family's comments about your weight growing up, your trauma history, right? Like there's a lot there uh, that makes sense. And yet working towards body acceptance becomes very important for, again, connecting with your body and being able to keep doing these helpful behaviors instead of staying in that all or nothing thinking. Yeah. So that's very interesting. And now I, my brain's like going here. So is this based on, and you might not have the answer. Like, Is it based on generational things like, you know, women who are over 40 now, or is it like something that we evolve? So, you know, as you and I, I'm in my late thirties, so I don't know where you're at. We're probably around the same age, but you know, when we get to that age, are we going to then start basing that on what other people perceive of our body? Do you have a I, so my interpretation of the study and um, everyone Google the Ohio State University women's perceptions of themselves, and you can read the study for yourself. If yeah. you're nervous. Uh, but my perception of the study, so they um, interviewed or, or you know gave questionnaires to people in that age bracket. They didn't check to see how the conception changed over time. Okay my thinking is that it has more to do with the generation. I don't think it's going to change much over time. Yeah, I agree with that. And so for those of you listening who are older than us, you know, in, in your forties and fifties, and I, I see this a lot in the women that I work with, like we have, you know, there's societal things that have been put on us or influence us. And like, I'm all for really advocating because I, I feel like so many women older than me in particular, and like, I aspire to be one of them someday. Like there's so much wisdom, especially post menopause and so much, you know, that we can share. So I'm more just talking about like, this is a way to encourage those who fall into this category or maybe, you know, have that perception of worrying what people think outside, like what everyone else thinks. I see that a lot more in that generation. And I, I have no answers for why, like my age, it's more about like, let's just, you know, function normally and and feel good. I'm not sure what changed, but, um, I don't know if you have any input there, but it's just something to be aware of for our listeners who, who fall into that. Like, that's not normal. (laughs) We've normalized it, but it's not normal. I love that. 
yeah, we've normalized it, but it's not normal. Um, you know, I think some, there are a lot of historical pieces that we're talking about here. I think of title nine a lot, which is Mm -hmm. that landmark piece of legislation in the U S that said, if schools are going to fund programs for boys, they have to fund programs for girls. And so that created, you know, the girls softball team and the girls basketball team and the girls volleyball team. And so when I was growing up, all of those things were available. They were normal. Girls got sweaty. Um, and, and, and girls were seen as capable in that way. Um, girls bodies were also for movement and also for fun and not just for looking good and looking pretty. And then certainly I think that there is a patriarchal viewpoint that as feminism has continued to push forward, like you and I have um, experienced the benefit of that growing up in a a time where feminism was more accepted um, than, you know, the idea that a lot of women I work with, um, I can think of a time, I like to work in groups, uh, because I believe that groups really break down the shame of, uh, of of eating and knowing that you're not alone. And I remember a woman sharing, um, did anyone else, she said, grow up believing that if you were fat, men weren't going to like you. And, you know, I love zoom because you get all the heads. (laughs) (laughs) All the heads nod. Yes. Mm -hmm. Whereas, and and I think I got that too growing up, but also I know people who are dating and have different body sizes and like living their best life. Right. And so um, those are just some things that I think I do think there is a difference. And I think the way that you grow up and what you heard, the messages about body and eating um, make a really big difference. And those are actually going to keep controlling you until you decide to unpack them, take an honest look and decide how you want to live, how you want to feel about yourself and your body. Um, And that's really the way forward to stop caring what other people think is to realize why you care about what other people think, what were the messages you heard and how do you want to feel about yourself? Yeah. I love that. Cause that's also bringing the power back you yes. know, to yourself. And you may find like, I've been thinking about this for myself recently, just in my own journey and kind of, you know, as I've been retraining my brain and all that, like I, I had an experience and I know my dad didn't mean anything negative by this, but you know, he, at one point when I was in high school told me that I should weigh 116 pounds. I was a hardcore soccer player, cross-country skier, had a soccer, butt. I was fit. I, you know, all the things I was maybe like slightly heavy for, for whatever, but I was thinking back to that. And, you know, I've been like revisiting pictures of me as a younger self. And I know a lot of us probably go on this journey, but it's like in those pictures, like I was fit as heck, right. When I ran a marathon and I wore a size zero and like all this crap, like I look back and I'm like, dang, you know, I was thin and like all those things that we think are are perfect. But what I remember is still feeling too fat and still feeling like, so those things, it doesn't like a lot of us think that once we achieve this thing, you know, then it's all going to be better. And I can speak from experience. Like there's these underlying conversations that are not going to go away, no matter what you look like on the outside that we still need to deal with. If we're really going to truly actually be healthy and, you know, love ourselves. So that just came up in, in what yeah. you Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a, yeah. like you said, such a common experience that so many women look back at pictures and go like, what was wrong with me that I wasn't just in love with myself. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and so I say the time is now, the time is now to be in love with yourself and your body and to, you know, there's work to get there. I don't want to pretend like there isn't like, this is a journey yeah. that I'm on. Yeah. I, I remember similar. I remember my mom we were, when we were trying on clothes one time and sorry, mom, if you're hearing this, um, <laughs> trying on clothes in a dressing room when I was, you know, a teenager and she was looking at my legs like, Oh, and I'm, I'm, you can't see, but I'm a pear shape. Like this girl's got hips, a butt and thighs and, uh, and not, not the kind that are like culturally sexy, but like you could stick a glass on that thing. Okay. (laughs) And, uh, and I remember my mom going, Oh, you got my thighs. I'm so sorry. You know? And it was like, wow, I had always been insecure about my thighs. And then that just confirmed it for me that there's something wrong with my thighs. And now I need to be, you know, so even more, um, nervous about them. And so then I started wearing really baggy clothes and, you know, and not feeling good in my body. And again, she didn't mean anything. She was commiserating with me, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, she wasn't trying to hurt me. Some people have parents who were trying to hurt them about their body and those wounds cut even deeper. Right. So um, yeah, I I think a lot of people can relate to that. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. And another, I forgot to kind of wrap it up. Like in my mind, I was like, I didn't let that affect me. And, you know, I, I, kind of took this higher road of like, I could have become anorexic or, you know, whatever, based on what my dad said, which is very true. And some people may have gone down that, but it also like subconsciously it did impact me. And, you know, it still is even today. And I'm like, okay, like now it's time to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. So and recognizing it's there allows you to move forward in a way that's yeah. helpful. Yeah. And we've, I know we all have those, those stories, but so now I'm curious what, ideas or tips do you have to start? I I just like came up with some thoughts myself, but I'd love to know, like, what ideas do you have to start showing yourself self-love? Like, how do we start actually loving ourselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it, for me, it's been through guided visualizations and journaling and, and really consciously asking myself, what do I love about myself? And I think that feels very uncomfortable. At least it certainly did for me at the the start. Like what a weird kind of hippie voodoo nonsense am I engaging in here? Um, You know, or am I being selfish? And, and so it's hard, but, but spending some time, like, what do I love about myself? Like, damn, I'm smart. Like, I love that about myself. I, I'm funny, you know, like really just sitting there. Um, I'm courageous. Like I could tell you a lot of things I love about myself. (laughs) I've been working hard on this. And then secondly, uh, there's this beautiful, you could Google some like self-love meditations or guided imagery and, and find something that works for you. But you know, spending some time closing your eyes and imagining yourself um, engulfed by a beautiful, warm, white light that is pure love, you know, spending some time offering love to yourself. Or, you know, I also love one where you, you walk yourself through just feeling really grounded where you are and held by the earth and love. And then, you know, grounded by the the sky and the stars and held by the cosmos in love. And you're just in the middle, loved by nature, um, loved by yourself. That, if that feels good, honestly, like you don't, you'll never walk away from that going, 
Nah, it feels really good. And I think feeling good is another thing that's part of the, the heart and soul pillars we haven't gotten to. And if we don't, that's fine. But really, they come down to feeling good. Uh, and that, that self-love visualization can be a great way to do that. I love that. Um, you know, and if it's some, some of the other ideas that, that came to mind, let me just, my dog is like destroying the house right now. <laughs> We're talking, so he's going to come up here, but for those watching YouTube, say hi to my dog. Um, <laughs> another way to love yourself is to find a furry friend to love too. Yeah. But, you know, some ideas I had, because we're so bad at being connected to ourselves, like, you know, take yourself on a date or, you know, write yourself a love note. Like that's kind of what you're talking about. Just yeah. reflect on, you know, all the things that maybe you want your partner to do for you. Maybe do them for yourself first and just mm -hmm. see, see how that, um, you know, starts to transform some of that. And, you know, it's, it's key, like that feeling good. We spend so much time feeling bad or feeling, you know, beating ourselves up. Like we all know that no one would talk to us the way we talk to ourselves. Right. And it's moving, being willing to move past that and just shut down that dialogue. Um, and so those are, those are great ideas. Yeah. And I don't know if you get this, but oftentimes women I work with are, are asking me, how do I care for myself without feeling guilty about it? And I would imagine that some of these activities, like writing yourself a self-love note, which I absolutely love, that if that felt weird or you felt guilty or somehow wrong, my encouragement to anyone listening is do it anyways. Mm -hmm. Do it anyways and sit with the feelings. Because what happens with emotional eating is we eat because we don't uh, want to feel, we don't feel safe to feel, or we don't have the capacity to feel. And so we use food to numb and avoid those emotions. Yeah. And so part of this journey is learning to sit with discomfort and self-compassion helps. If you practice self-compassion, it provides an on-ramp into sitting with your emotions. Um, but, but that's really going to allow you to move past discomfort and fear and guilt and actually care for yourself. I just want to say guilt, fear, discomfort, again, things that are normal, like wish they weren't, but they're normal. They're okay. You can accept that they're there. I, I, sometimes I think of like shaking hands with my fears, like, hello, I see you or tipping my hat to my fears. I see you. And I'm going to go do this thing anyways. So you don't have to pretend like you don't feel guilty. You can feel guilty. You can feel weird about it, but do it anyways. And, and you're going to reap the benefit that way. Absolutely. I love that. And, you know, so much of getting started is like, and I, I've heard this, um, one of the women I interviewed early, early, early on, she's a resilience coach, but, you know, she talked about, she went to a seminar and this woman had her write down an affirmation that said, I deeply and truly love myself or, you know, something along those. And she couldn't even look at it. Like it was just, she was so filled with just self-hatred and self-loathing and all of these negative things. And she just, she put it on her bathroom mirror on a sticky note and she forced herself to read it every morning. And over time, she finally started to believe it, you know? And so it, it'll take time. Like we really have to rewire ourselves. But if you think about, you know, they've done studies since you're into studies, you probably read this one where, um, I think in a school somewhere they had kids, you know, talk really lovingly and nice to a plant. And then they had another plant where they were like bullied the plant and were mean to it. And, you know, said all this negative, bad stuff for it. And the plants, like the one that they spoke nice to was a healthy, you know, robust plant. And the one that didn't died, 
it actually oh died. And that was all from the power of language. And so there's so much that, and that's, you know, with a different living being, not even us, like one that doesn't have our, our nervous system and brain, but there's so much just with the energy around what our language creates. And if you really, you know, so like, just try it, try actually speaking loving words to yourself for a week and see how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> just try yeah. to feel a lot better. So yes. And again, it might be weird. It might be hard. It might be foreign and do it anyways. Yeah. I love the story of the resilience coach, because I imagine that I'll have to go back and find the episode because I imagine that that experience of forcing herself to feel the discomfort every single day. Like that wasn't just a one-time thing. Like that's a lot of discomfort that you sign yourself up for because you believe that, that the, I guess it's kind of the idea that the cost of changing and the fear of the unknown around changing becomes less than the cost of staying the same. So the cost to you. So if, if you're someone who's like, I'm done with this, I'm not doing another, you know, yo-yo restrictive diet. I need to heal this emotional eating or whatever your issue with food or, or health is. Once that cost finally becomes higher than the discomfort of feeling your feelings, you'll find a solution. And if yeah. you're there, you know, hit us up, hit us up. Dr. This is where we come in. You're totally right. And I've been, um, I just this morning, I have a 17 year old stepson who has some tummy issues and they interfere with him going to school and he's 17. So he doesn't, you know, care enough at this point to him. The cost is not high enough. Like, I'm like, do you need to not graduate? It's your senior year. Like, what's it going to take for you to start to care enough where you're willing to actually make some changes and do something differently? And that's mm-hmm. the same for anything, you know, at what yeah. point do we say, okay, it's time. And if you're not there yet and you want to be, you know, cause I think that when you're, when you're not at a place where changing is more important than staying the same that can be a place full of frustration, self-criticism, shame. Like, you know, you should care, but you don't. That's another place where you can still reach out for help and you can get help to figure out why you're not feeling motivated, even though something's important to you. Again, usually, well, I will say in my opinion, a hundred percent of the time, it's not because you're lazy or there's something wrong with you. It's because there's more to the story. And that more to the story is often these things we've been talking about feeling unsafe with your emotions or, you know, having some trauma around your body or health or what have you. I mean, I've, I've worked with women who this, the scale, you know, is like a, a pe- like they, I legitimately, I can't diagnose them. I'm not a therapist, but I'm like, I legitimately think that you have PTSD with the scale, like that level of, of trauma from having growing up with a chronic illness as a child. And, you know, their, their weight was used against them. And it just, um, there's some complicated stuff here and you can heal, even if you, you can't see a way out or you feel like you're not motivated enough. Like there is help available. Absolutely. And I'm glad you just, shared that because it, you know, we're all starting in our whatever place and there is a lot of crap that happens to us in the world. And it can be, you know, something like that. It can be sexual assault. There's so many different things that I've, you know, 
seen with women yes. and and the important thing you know a lot of what we're talking about is finding that place where it no longer controls you mm-hmm. um you know or it's no longer living with you in the present and you're able to really just leave it in the past and move forward and be the best version of yourself well and also when it comes to emotional eating and coping you know here's how trauma really is involved and again like here's my little nerd self poking through studies show that when you have this history of trauma and in particular trauma that happened long ago, as opposed to more recently, um, your brain becomes more sensitive to stress. And I think of it kind of like that constantly vigilant, you know, always looking for, am I safe? Is there a threat? And that's so common with, with most all types of trauma. And, And that develops, I mean, it may have been a coping mechanism at the time, you know, if you had an alcoholic father or something, um, but, but also it, it can develop over time, even if you didn't need that coping mechanism um, when the trauma was occurring. And so what that means is you're constantly stressed out. That cortisol is constantly, you know, getting uh, the, the, the message to come activate and that's leading to cravings. That's leading to, you know, needing to cope with being constantly hypervigilant. And so a lot of my work with women around healing emotional eating, and it it probably seems like it has nothing to do with emotional eating, and yet I hope you can see it has everything to do with it, um, is really calming down that nervous system so that you can feel safe and and you can, you know, start to realize you're, you're okay. Yeah. Absolutely. And both my chiropractor hat and my health coaching and <laughs> functional medicine hat agree with you on that. Like we have to, you know, find the ways to create the space where we are actually in a relaxed state and where we like, you're not going to lose weight by being stressed out all the time. You're not going to feel good by that. You're not going to sleep well in that state. Like we have to find the ways to deescalate. And with that, you know, this, our stressors aren't going to just magically go away either. There's things we have control over, but you know, we have to develop the habits where we're not just coping. I, I, I feel like coping is a more negative term, but like we're thriving in spite yeah. of it. Like we can, there really isn't anything we can't handle. So certainly awesome. Well, Cassie, I know we could talk forever. I try to keep these a little shorter so people can actually digest them in one sitting, but um, where can women listening go to connect with you? It sounds like Instagram is, is part of your jam. Yep. That's one place. You can also search on Facebook for emotional eating and women's wellness community. I have a Facebook group there. It's free. It's private. I'm doing lives whenever I think about it to share whatever's in my head. Um, so I love to do that. And if you want to hear more about these four key areas of self-love, I have a guide that your audience can download. It's called you're done dieting, but still want to heal emotional eating super long subtitle. I won't bore you with it, but you can get that at cassiechristopher.net forward slash free. Uh, this is new. So I would love for anyone listening to go check that out and then shoot me an email. I'll email it to you. Uh, and let me know what you think. And if it was helpful and what questions you have, um, I would love to make this the most useful to you as it can be. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, you know, joining us coming on, just kind of sharing your, knowledge around this area. I think I, you know, it was helpful for me. So I'm hoping that everyone listening got a lot out of this and, um, and I'll put those links and everything in the show notes. So if anyone listening can go there to find it, um, if you can't type and drive or whatever you're doing. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Cassie. It's been a pleasure having you on. Yes. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in to Emerge, the health podcast for busy, high-performing women, where we provide you with the tools, information, and inspiration you need to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and also leave us a review. Also, I don't want to be working with you on your health only once or twice a week. I want to be in this conversation and in the trenches with you every single day. I invite you to join me in the Emergent Women Community Group on Facebook for the chance to interact with me live once a week and even more information, inspiration, and motivation to transform your health and become the vibrant, energetic, and on-fire version of yourself we all know is under there. Until next time, remember to keep putting yourself first so that you can better serve the ones you love and the things you are passionate about. Mm -hmm.